And I'm Scott. And we are Fired Up, Ready to Podcast. And welcome to this week's podcast. Why do we say hallelujah? Because our beloved President Obama is back on the scene. He's making speeches and putting Trump in his place. Hallelujah. I'd like to start with something that he said in his speech on Friday. He said, I have to say this. Because sometimes we hear a plague on both your houses. But over the past few decades, the politics of division, of resentment, and paranoia has unfortunately found a home in the Republican Party. So, I start with this because I was at dinner Saturday night with a friend who took exception to my calling Brett Kavanaugh a scumbag. Well, later in the podcast, I will explain why I said that and why I defend saying it, especially to a friend over dinner. But dear listeners, I want to explain to you now. We do not in general support name calling or the like, but this podcast is called Fired Up, and sometimes we do get fired up. Our goal is not to tear down the other side, but frankly, these are hard times. And sometimes the bile builds up from a week of having to swallow all the crap coming from this hideous president and his administration. And sometimes we need to relieve ourselves with a little venting and discharging of bile. So on to the episode. And now, domestic Trump troubles. Gentlemen, this next story is about the return of Obama. U.S. News and World Report has the headline, Obama Scorches Trump in Return to Campaign Trail. Former President Barack Obama has issued a scorching critique of Trump and the Republican Party in his speech Friday at the University of Illinois. He called on people to vote in November, saying our democracy depends on it. President Obama was at the university to receive an award for ethics in government. Imagine ethics in government. He went on to say that the country is at a pivotal moment in its history and the consequences of any of us sitting on the sidelines are more dire than in prior elections. The speech was Obama's first big step into the campaign for the midterm elections. He said Americans and politicians of both parties should stand up against discrimination and, quote, stand up clearly and unequivocally to Nazi sympathizers. How hard can that be, saying Nazis are bad, unquote. He also critiqued the Republican Party saying they had championed the unwinding of campaign finance laws, made it harder for minorities to vote, 
and voted multiple times to take health care away from ordinary Americans. He also said the GOP has cozied up to the head of the KGB and calling them out for not standing up to Trump. He said, quote, what happened to the Republican Party, unquote. But in his usual Obama way, he also offered a compassionate and hopeful vision appealing to our better angels. To hear this man speak is such a welcome relief from the daily barrage of crass, vulgar word salad we get from Trump. Obama can speak with intelligence and compassion about our country's history and challenges and always offers an inspiring way forward, which brings us to our quote of the week, best delivered by the man himself. Our first quote of the week comes from our beloved President Obama. So if you don't like what's going on right now, and you shouldn't, do not complain. Don't hashtag. Don't get anxious. Don't retreat. Don't binge on whatever it is you're binging on. Don't lose yourself in ironic detachment. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't boo. Vote. Vote. Bob Woodward of Woodward and Bernstein and Deep Throat Watergate fame, who built his career speaking truth to power ever since, this week released his latest book detailing the inner workings of the Trump White House titled Fear. The book paints a picture of an administration in utter disarray and a president incapable of the demands of the office to which he was supposedly elected as well as those surrounding him, protecting the country from his worst instincts when not calling him out for being an idiot or possessing the understanding of a fifth or sixth grader. One of the more alarming examples of Trump's impulsivity was a tweet he composed but was fortunately talked out of sending, announcing the withdrawal of dependents of the 28,000 people currently stationed in South Korea. Had that tweet flown, the North Koreans would have justified it, justifiably misinterpreted it misinterpreted it as the U.S. announcing its preparation to attack, and then, bam, World War III. <clears throat> the theme of Woodward's book is that aides fear what the president might do if allowed to follow his impulses. When asked by CBS's David Martin what he concluded about his deep dive into the material, Woodward said, quote, that people better wake up to what's going on, end quote. CNN reports Nike's online sales jumped 31% after company unveiled Kaepernick campaign. Nike announced that Colin Kaepernick, a former NFL player who rose to fame for the taking of a knee during the national anthem, would be the poster boy for the company's 30th anniversary Just Do It ad. After the first ad appeared, Critics have burned their Nike shoes and socks in protest, and Trump tweeted his displeasure. But the company reported a 31% increase in sales, and Kaepernick has risen to the level of a global icon. Nate Boyer, a former football player and Green Beret, is the man who met with Kaepernick a couple of years ago 
and urged him that kneeling would be a more respectful way than sitting. And from that meeting on, that is what players did. He is now encouraging Kaepernick to be more vocal and, and to urge for unity. The ad says, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. This next story is about the op-ed in the New York Times. So the New York Times reports that on Wednesday, the New York Times opinion desk published an op-ed by an anonymous senior official in which in the Trump administration, in which the author says that many of the senior officials in the Trump administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of Trump's agenda and his worst inclinations. He goes on to say that the root of the problem is the president's amorality. The author is pleased with some of the accomplishments, as he sees it, the tax cuts, deregulation, and a more robust military, but says these are despite the president's leadership style, which is impetuous, adversarial, petty, and ineffective. He says the result is a two-track presidency and that he and others are part of not the deep state, but the steady state. He further states that given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers of invoking the 25th Amendment, which is where the vice president and cabinet members moved to say the president is unfit to carry out his duties and bring it to the Congress for a vote. But they decided to avoid this constitutional crisis and instead intend to steer the administration in the right direction until one way or another it's over. Well, as you can imagine, Trump didn't take this well and was said to be volcanic in his anger. He called the essay gutless and said it was treason and has since vowed to find out who the author is and to hold that person accountable. He called for the person to be, quote, turned over to the government at once, and then later in the week called on Jeff Sessions and the Justice Department to investigate. And now the talk is, who is this anonymous? And lots of speculation has occurred um, as people are trying to read the tea leaves of who this could be. In his speech on Friday, Obama called this person out saying, quote, that is not how our democracy is supposed to work. These people aren't elected. They're not accountable. They're not doing us a service by promoting 90% of the crazy stuff that's coming out of this White House and then saying, don't worry, we're, protect, we're preventing the other 10%. That is not how things are supposed to work. This is not normal, unquote. And I couldn't agree more, as usual, with President Obama. This is not normal. And these people deciding that they're going to handle things uh, is, is unacceptable to me. If there is a problem with this president and it sounds like there is by all accounts he needs to be this needs to be brought out into the public they, these people need to say what's going on so that the proper channels can occur um the, you know this is a frightening precedent to to have people 
deciding what they think is appropriate or inappropriate that the president is doing. So it is not too often I agree with Trump, uh, but I have to say I'm deeply disturbed by what this person has said is happening in the administration. Obama wasn't the only former or current president to deliver a speech this week. 44 was preceded by 45, who delivered remarks to a crowd gathered to soothe his damaged ego from the double whammy of the Woodward book and the anonymous op-ed. I mean, he was uh, speaking at an event to support Montana Senate candidate Matt Rosendale. Now, to be honest, I can't bear listening to Donald Trump speak. And so I did not listen to his speech the way I listened to and hung on every word of Obama's speech the following day. I did see the clip of when he referred to the op-ed by Anonymous, and boy, he would have been well-served if the Times had credited it to John or Jane Doe, because Trump cannot say the word Anonymous. Maybe he had dry mouth, it's a thing. Maybe it was too many syllables, or maybe there's something seriously wrong with him. Now, the last theory is irrefutable, but not because of his being mushy-mouthed. You see, Chris Saliza of CNN went through the speech transcript and pulled out the 59 most noteworthy lines. Wow. You don't have to trust me. You can look it up easily enough yourself to see that a garbled word is about the least troubling thing about that speech. From assuring the crowd that there's no place like a Trump rally, and funny, I thought it was supposed to be a Rosendale rally, but maybe I'm wrong because none of the lines that Saliza pulled out mentioned the guy that Trump flew to Montana to support. (laughs) Too well just touting how great he is. Some of what he said was even too much for the people paid to be there. I mean, in attendance. Because, you see that, Janine? Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's plaid shirt guy. (laughs) Tyler Linfesti, a.k.a. plaid shirt guy, became a (laughs) national hero simply by reacting naturally to what he was hearing rather than, quote, acting enthusiastically, unquote, as he and others placed in the stands directly behind Trump and therefore very much on camera were coached to do. And Tyler was directly behind Trump. So when his reactions came, no matter how discreet, they could not be missed. Such as when he mouthed the word, what? (laughs) In response to the commentary or, have you? When Trump said, we've picked up a lot of support. (laughs) Linfesty said he had no premeditated goal of being disrespectful, but he hadn't drunk the Kool-Aid, and his natural reactions, which were far from over the top, called enough attention to him that he was replaced, replaced, by another attendee, after which he was questioned by the Secret Service and asked to leave and not come back. Now, I suppose it's possible that this kind of thing happens all the time at other political rallies, including Obama's, but if so, I'm amazed that we haven't heard about it. <laughs> this is so, so ridiculous. If you are not smiling and clapping and cheering, you get pulled over and questioned by the Secret Service. Now, granted, most people who are behind the, the person speaking are naturally going to want to smile and clap and cheer. Right. But not here. Yeah, but, but you don't have to. You don't have to, and you shouldn't be questioned. Well, if they don't, do. if they don't like him standing there, fine. But that th- that should have been the end of it. It was hysterical. You got to look it up. Okay, I had to look it up, but the word dissemble means to conceal one's true motives, feelings, or beliefs. 
And that is what multiple Democratic senators have accused Supreme Court Justice nominee Brett Kavanaugh of doing at the end of his testimony this past week. Among their concerns that Kavanaugh failed to alleviate was his stance on abortion. Mm. On one hand, his, in his testimony, he said that Roe v. Wade was settled law, reconfirmed by the Supreme Court even since its original decision. But regarding an op-ed piece drafted but not published in 2003, Kavanaugh disputed the assertion that Roe v. Wade was settled, stating that the Supreme Court can always overturn its precedent, and at the time, three justices were ready to do so. Well, now that number is four, thanks to Gorsuch. And having fired off zingers such as his equivocation of birth control with abortion-inducing medication, the Dems are very concerned that in spite of his claims of precedent, Kavanaugh would gladly be the fifth justice to overturn that landmark legislation. Mm. Now, the email in which Kavanaugh expressed his thoughts on the op-ed about whether Roe v. Wade was accepted by legal scholars to be settled law was among the many, many thousands of pages of opinion that were not supposed to come to light if the Republicans in control had their way, and to an overwhelming extent, they had their way. Other concerns of Democrats that linger after conclusion of his testimony include whether Kavanaugh would recuse himself from presiding over cases related to the current president's legal troubles should they come before the court, from whether Trump should be required to testify the charges against him from Robert Mueller's investigation should he be subpoenaed, to whether a president has the right to pardon himself. Kavanaugh is just as highly considered to be accommodating to Trump on these issues now as when his name was added to Trump's, quote, closed list of potential Supreme Court justice nominees after Mueller was picked to lead the investigation into Russian interference with the Trump campaign. Talk about stacking the court. I know. This is so disturbing. We will now discuss the Democratic response to Kavanaugh. NBC News reports that Democrats started the proceedings of the hearing by expressing their outrage about the rushed nature of the process, as well as the thousands of pages that were withheld by the Trump administration. They complained of being given 42,000 documents the night before at 11.30 at night. Uh, But they learned that this only amounted to access of less than 10% of the total they believe they should have been able to review. CBS News reports on Thursday, Senator Cory Booker released documents that were deemed committee confidential. He did this knowing it would have resulted in his, it may have resulted in his ouster from the Senate. He and other Democrats, including Dick Durbin and Maisie Hirono, joined him. They protested the breakdown of the process, where they said it was improper for a private lawyer, Bill Burke, who happens to be a former colleague of Kavanaugh and who represents Rance Priebus, Don McGahn, and Steve Bannon in the Mueller investigation to be the person who's deciding which of these documents uh, could be released to the public and which could not. Uh, Democrats also grilled Kavanaugh during the week on a range of issues with Senator Kamala Harris of California getting some great questions One being, she asked him, is he aware of any laws that give the government the power to make decisions about the male body? Democrats are now calling for the confirmation vote to be postponed, while charges that the the, uh, nominee perjured himself are investigated. 
Now, to me, the character of this man can be summed up in the actions I saw in regards to Fred Guttenberg, who is the father of 14-year-old Jamie Guttenberg, who was killed in the Stoneman Douglas High School shooting not even six months ago. After the morning session, Fred Guttenberg approached Kavanaugh with an outstretched hand to introduce himself. You can see what he's saying and see it on the tape. He says his name and says his daughter was killed. And at this, Brett Kavanaugh looks at him like he is crap on his shoe and turns his back and walks away. I called him a scumbag and my friend took issue with me. But I would like to add a couple of comments here. Number one, this Brett Kavanaugh had not one, but three opportunities to be a human being and show a morsel of compassion. The first was this time that was caught on tape. Um, And the second was when he came back for the afternoon session. And by then he had to have known who Fred Guttenberg was and he did nothing. And the third chance was when Lindsey Graham mentioned Mr. Guttenberg and his questions. Three chances to understand that any politics aside, this man is to quote Hamilton, dealing with the unimaginable. And to acknowledge him or his grief would not have been that much to ask or expect of Brett Kavanaugh. My strong reaction to this is also in the context of the extreme lack of empathy that seems to be rampant on the right side of the aisle. In the time since the Parkland shooting, many of the students have become activists and have been actively pushing for gun safety. It has been appalling to hear people criticizing them and calling them names. These are teenagers. In my book, anyone who has been the victim of a shooting deserves to be handled with the care and concern that that should be afforded to them. They are all dealing with the unimaginable. So if for no other reason than wanting to be mindful of the optics, Kavanaugh could have addressed what at best was his snub. It showed an appalling lack of decency, and I will call this out. If people want to argue policy, how much to spend on the military, I would not and do not name call. And I'm sure I would just focus on the behavior here, but it is hard to not believe that this says something pretty unflattering about this Kavanaugh's character. While confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh is almost assured, come on, Senators Collins and McCaskill, a number of voices from Kavanaugh's past have emerged to argue that he should have not that he should not only be denied the Supreme Court appointment, but should be impeached from the bench. Period. Mm. I didn't even know that was possible until now. David Brock, according to NBC News, says he knew Kavanaugh during the years that they were both quote part of a close circle of cynical hard-right operatives being groomed by GOP elders mm. for much bigger roles in politics, government, and media, end quote. Mm. Brock lists others in that cabal who've gone on to partisan prominence, such as Laura Ingraham, Tucker Carlson, Ann Coulter, and Matt Drudge, all well within the public eye, to Alex Azar, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Mark Paletta, Chief Counsel to Vice President Mike Pence, and my very own congressional representative, for now anyway, Barbara Comstock, whom he described as an anti-Clinton gumshoe. Brock's point is that you can know a person from the company they keep, 
and Kavanaugh's company cannot be described as the kind of nonpartisan justice you want to see anywhere, and especially not on the Supreme Court. Brock describes Kavanaugh himself as, quote, not a dispassionist finder of fact, but rather an engineer of political smear campaign, end quote, with respect to his participation in the Kenneth Starr investigation into President Bill Clinton. Mm. Brock concludes his piece by saying, quote, I can promise you that any pretense of simply being a fair arbiter of the constitutionality of any policy, regardless of politics, is simply a pretense. He made up his mind nearly a generation ago, and if, it, if he's confirmed, he'll have nearly two generations to impose it upon the rest of us, end quote. Mm. And that's the lighter of the accusations coming from the ghosts of Kavanaugh's past. In Slate Magazine, Lisa Graves writes in her article, I wrote some of the stolen memos that Brett Kavanaugh lied to the Senate about, that he should be impeached, not elevated, from the federal judiciary. Now, this is a long and dense article, but the gist is that Kavanaugh was working to get the most extreme of George Bush's judicial nominees passed a Democratic majority Senate, and that he put forth arguments that could only have been backed up by information known only to Democrats, and that, he, and that came to him as stolen documents. In the course of his career, he misled the Senate as to the source of the information he was, privy, he was privy to. When confronted with the truth of how it came to be in his possession, he rejected the very premise of the question. In other words, first he lied and then he dodged. The irony is that receiving the memos that the author wrote was not in and of itself an impeachable offense, but that he's lied to ever having seen the memos containing the very information he used in his own arguments. Graves posits that, quote, perhaps Kavanaugh was so blinded by his quest to get the most controversial Bush nominees confirmed in 2003 that he did not have any concerns about the bounty of secret memos and letters he was receiving, the full extent of which is, known, is not known because so many documents are still secret, end quote. One is blinded by the sickening irony that Brett Kavanaugh, who built his career as part of Kenneth Starr's relentless prosecution of Bill Clinton's lying about a blowjob, is about to be nominated, nominated to our Supreme Court in spite of his own lies to the same body about matters so much more consequential. Oh, boy. It's really depressing to listen to this story. It's really depressing, and it makes me very angry at all the people who just couldn't bring themselves to vote for that Hillary. And um, this is why... This is where it matters, because now the courts may be very stacked against us. And and if he's going to rule that Trump doesn't have to be investigated, Trump doesn't have to be accountable Trump or subpoenaed, he can pardon himself or pardon his family, I don't know how we're going to get out of this mess. And we're sorry to have gone on so long about this Brett Kavanaugh, but the, the implications of his nomination and, as it's looking, ultimately, uh, confirmation to the Supreme Court is going to be a bane, is going to be a, a ball and chain around our necks for generations to come. Gotta vote in elections, people. Gotta vote. And now for your tweet of the week. The tweet of the week comes from Congressman Ted Lieu, who wrote, 49 years ago, the U.S. government landed a man on the moon and brought him back. 
The fact that the federal government still hasn't reunited more than 400 kids ripped away from their parents is not an issue of capability. It is deliberate indifference. Well said, Ted Lou. And now, Trump troubles around the globe. NBC News reports the Trump administration wants the ability to hold migrant kids indefinitely, upending a decades-old ban. The Trump administration announced a new rule Thursday that would allow immigrant children with their parents to be held in detention indefinitely. That means no restraints. The rule goes into effect in 60 days and will allow ICE to keep children with their mothers in detention facilities while their cases for asylum play out in court. The purpose of this rule is to terminate the Flores Agreement that said that children could not be held in detention longer than 20 days. It sounds like this will end up in the higher courts. PBS reports as of September 7th, more than 400 migrant children remain separated from their parents and under the federal government's care, according to court documents filed this week. This nightmare continues. And now, what the hell is happening in the Russia investigation anyway? George Papadopoulos became the first Trump campaign official to be sentenced to prison in Robert Mueller's probe into the Russian interference in the Trump campaign. Papadopoulos. (laughs) Described by other Trump campaign officials as a coffee boy, Papadopoulos Papadopoulos pled guilty to lying to investigators about his contact with several people connected to Russia during the campaign. His sentence is for a whopping 14 days, which both acknowledges the limited impact of the defendant's action, but... As less than half of, con- of convicted defendants charged with lying to agents face jail time at all, it underscores the severity of the crime. If the judge had thought Papadopoulos' intent was to derail the investigation more than, as the defendant said, to put the interest of his own career ahead of the country, it would certainly have been a longer sentence. Mm. But Papadopoulos, who was on one hand contrite in his comments to the judge, but on the other hand was, according to the prosecutors, not cooperative and provided no substantial assistance after his arrest. I guess he got what he had coming to him. And now for your action of the week. This week's action of the week is to get registered with your local indivisible group. Uh, We belong to our local indivisible group, although we haven't really gone to meetings and such. But it's a great way to find out quick, easy ways to take action. So this week we found out that there was canvassing going on in our neighborhood. And we were able to do that. It took us maybe an hour and 10, 20 minutes Um, And it was very friendly out there. Uh, People had a real zest for wanting to get out and vote. People knew when the voting was. We had people talking about how uh, typically they only vote during the the main uh, presidential election. But this year, for the first time, they're coming out for the midterms. And that's exactly what we wanted to hear. And when you canvass, you're not sent to every house. You're sent to people who have voted Democratic in the past. Friendly turf. Friendly turf, so don't be afraid. But 
If you don't want to talk to people, there are still lots of other things to do. They'll talk about postcard writing parties. This week we also learned that there are postcards that they're dropping off in people's apartment complexes. You don't have to knock on doors. You just drop off the postcard, which has information about voter registration and and all that good information. Easy to do. It targets exactly the communities of voters who may be less likely to come out because of lack of information or transportation. And now for your inspirational quote of the week. Our second quote of the week is from the wonderful President Obama. That has to be the answer. You cannot sit back and wait for a savior. You can't opt out because you don't feel sufficiently inspired by this or that particular candidate. This is not a rock concert. This is not Coachella. (laughs) We don't need a messiah. All we need are decent, honest, hardworking people who are accountable and who have America's best interests at heart. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week and tell all your left-leaning but not very active friends about us. This has been a Common Production.